2: Get your
1: personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Welcome to Any Stupid Questions, the political podcast that asks stupid questions about big issues. Questions like, I bet you're glad we don't have a presidential system now, aren't you? Who would be in charge of that. With me today discussing Brexit is Anand Menon, Director of UK and a Changing Europe, the authoritative source of independent research on UK-EU relations, as well as Ahir Shah and Athena kablani Right then, so I'll start with a stupid question and my question is this, how much of a fucking mess is all this Brexit business? Quite a lot. Quite a lot of a mess.
1: Yeah, for two reasons I suppose. One is because it would be a mess anyway, because... Leaving the EU is massively complicated. Mm-hmm. It's made worse by the fact that the EU has a rule for leaving, which is stupid, yeah. because it gives you two years to do something that Superman couldn't do it in two years. And it's made even worse because we're not being run by Superman at the moment, so that slows things down even more.
2: That's more definitive an answer than I was expecting, oh. to be
3: honest. <laughs> There's a song, and it's, the title is Now That We Found Love, What Are We Gonna Do With It? So now that we've got our country back, what are we gonna do with it? Yeah.
1: We don't have the first clue. Is the easy answer. I mean, we are freer to do what we want in some areas, if you think about it. We can do what we want with immigration. We can do what we want with agriculture. But because our government's so divided, they're incapable of coming to a settled decision on what they want to do. So we're just going to have to wait and see. But we'll have more freedom, yes. We just don't seem to have a government that knows what to do with it.
3: But surely with agriculture, it's not like you do what you want with it. You just grow stuff and you eat it. It's not like, oh, let's grow stuff and have a food fight. No.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, you could grow stuff and have a food fight, but you could, I mean, you could not grow stuff. There are politicians out there who are saying the day we leave the EU, we stop paying any money at all to farmers. So, all the ones who aren't very efficient go out of business, we import the stuff that they used to produce, it will be cheaper, food prices go down, and there are a lot of unemployed people on the hills of Wales.
3: What would we do with the farms if we stopped paying farmers to farm the land? Could we build, like, Disney worlds? Well, we'd watch (laughs) them get overgrown,
1: I imagine. (laughs) Uh,
2: Or luxury developments. Yeah, we need more of those.
4: (laughs) In the event of a no deal, have you got like a plan like I think like loads of people say like oh you've got to get to like a coastal area because then you've got a flank behind you that the zombies can't approach from or <laughs> you know like if you like how how are you at headshots do you think that you'd be sufficient in that or do you think that they would turn you quite
1: quickly I'm going to stock up on French cheese <laughs> and Spanish wine <laughs> right <That's my> plan.
2: <laughs> Spanish wine yeah oh is that the best
1: no I've just got a bit of a thing for it at the moment
2: so if I can start on the issue that's been in the news this week, which is this divorce bill stuff. So what is this divorce bill? Why should we pay it? And can we just close down the Channel Tunnel instead?
1: Yes, we can close the Channel Tunnel, but they'll still want this money. Okay. It's not a divorce bill. What the EU say it is, is it's the money that we've agreed to pay yep. as a member state. And we can't just leave and say we were lying. Yeah. So we have to pay what we've agreed to pay, is what they say.
2: Like, if you're a member of Virgin Active and you want to leave mid-contract, your mid contract, you still have to mm. pay the rest of the contract, don't you? Yes, it but like it's that? not
1: quite like that because what we've done in the EU is we said, we'll have all these programmes, we'll pay universities loads of money, we'll pay farmers loads of money we'll plan it ahead for five years, and yet we'll sign on the dotted line. Okay. And what they're saying is you're leaving halfway through that period, but you've signed up for it, we're all committed to it, we can't afford to do it without you. Yeah. So you've got to pay what you signed up to do.
2: See, that seems very reasonable. It
1: seems very reasonable until you come to the small print of what that entails. So one of the things that EU wants us to pay are the bills that we've accrued for pensions for people who work in the European Union okay it also seems very reasonable unless you're Jacob Rees-Mogg in yes. which case of course it seems profoundly unreasonable yeah. and that's the problem is so
4: wait we're going to have to leave and I'm still
1: going to have to pay Nigel Farage's pension well, Nigel Farage is one of the pensions yes absolutely but there are a lot of other people if that makes you happier it's okay, not yeah. just him
2: and another thing on Jacob Rees-Mogg so I can understand people who are desperate for us to leave right now in terms of they live somewhere that's been completely neglected by the UK government, and the feeling is any change is good change. It doesn't matter. No, I I understand the gung ho Brexit mentality behind that. What I don't understand is people like Jacob Rees-Mogg and David Davis and Liam Fox being so adamant that we should be leaving now, and we should be if we have to go to WTO rules. That I don't understand why they are so keen for us to leave the EU with such a terrible deal in place?
1: Firstly, you're right. If we go to WTO rules, and we can talk about this after if you want, it will be terrible. Yeah. For some of these people, to be absolutely fair to them, it's just a matter of principle. I mean, for Jacob Rees-Mogg, being in charge of your own country is the holy grail of politics. And he just doesn't accept a situation where someone else's rules take precedence over your own. So for him, it's a matter of principle. And let's face it, for him, if there's an economic downturn, he's not going to starve, so that helps. Yeah. But it is a matter of political principle. And then, for some of them, that is an excuse for wholesale reform of this country, get rid of workers' rights, cut down on environmental regulations, turn this place into a proper market economy.
2: But that seems... Like, I I don't understand why you'd want to get rid of workers' rights and why you'd want to have poor environmental rights. It seems very Machiavellian.
1: I mean, there's a credible intellectual argument. I don't agree with it, but the argument says that actually if we produce things more cheaply, the economy will boom. If the economy booms, everyone gets richer. I'm not convinced everyone does get richer. I think the same people who are already rich tend to get richer and the people who are poor get poorer. But, you know, that's a line of argument you'll hear in our politics and some people believe in it, going back to the farmers. I'm not sure stopping giving all farmers any money is going to be best for farmers.
2: I think farmers would probably think that too.
1: Were farmers one of the industries who voted quite a lot to leave? There's no precise numbers on it, but the indications are that in some areas, like in East Anglia, the farming community voted to leave, yeah.
4: Okay. Even though all of the seasonal workers are from Europe and stuff like that? Well, two things... And they get loads of stuff from CAP and what have you.
1: Yeah. The seasonal workers are from Europe, absolutely. So what you would find is in farming communities, the people who own the land tended to be more Remain, because they understood that this was where their workforce came from, that people who sort of lived in that area, and as they saw it was swamped with people from Eastern Europe in the harvest season, were voting leave. Right. There were, of course, promises made in the referendum campaign that, of course, this won't hurt farmers and the money they get, but the promises were made by people who had no way of delivering on those promises, so they weren't really worth anything.
2: And is it the case that if we get rid of all the seasonal immigrant workers on a farm, then pay has to go up for the the native population but is that actually going to happen or is is that not well
3: we won't have workers rights so no <laughs> yeah
2: so all the all the pay will be down to like three quid an hour anyway
1: we'll have workers rights to start with because Theresa may has said as long as she's in power they'll remain so, oh, so it's
2: not going to be immediate. oh wow so yeah. you a good four months <laughs> absolutely yeah right. well, that seemed like
3: a longer time when
1: she said <laughs> it teresa there's not going to be a general election <laughs> yeah. may all of that let me try my favorite answer here which is we don't know We don't know what the government's going to do about immigration. For some people who supported leave, this isn't about cutting immigration, it's about being in control of it. So their argument, which is a curious argument I suppose, was we could even increase immigration, that's fine as long as it's us who gets to decide. So... Amongst the people who supported Leave, there's a division between people like the UKIP side, for whom it was very, very clearly, pull up the door bridge, get the foreigners out and make this England again, and someone in the Conservative Party who were actually saying, this is just a political principle, that we should control our immigration policy, but actually, we love immigrants. We're quite happy to see them coming here. So you might end up with a situation that looks a bit like this, except of course for the fact that lots of Europeans don't want to come here anymore because they think we hate them. Am I
4: cynical to believe that the second half of that sentence of the we love immigrants etc etc is
1: actually bullshit? In some cases maybe, in some cases I think genuinely not. In some cases these are people who think that we should have a free open market and that includes the labour market but who don't like the idea that we don't have any say when it comes to Europeans about which ones get to come here and which ones don't. I mean there is a lot of bullshit in the argument. I think Mm. the notion that was doing the rounds in the referendum campaign Let's leave the European Union and we can let more Indians in. Yeah. That was bullshit.
2: If we leave the EU with no trade deal and we have to go to World Trade Organization rules is that catastrophic because I like everybody says oh it's really bad or some people say it won't be that bad and again I don't quite know what bad means
1: well here we're gonna embark on a little journey into nerd central all right so just bear with me for two minutes there are two ways of getting no deal yeah the first way of getting no deal means no deal at all no divorce deal and no trade deal literally just leaving literally just saying we've had enough negotiations have failed see you later yeah that's bad from top to bottom, it means we don't know what legal system we're operating under. We don't know whether the flights can fly. We don't know where the ports will clog up. I mean, the uncertainty in the short term will be catastrophic and it will lead to a significant economic shock. All and right? that's
2: something that some people have been saying we should just do, though. Some yeah. people have gone, let, let, let's not even bother with Article 50, let's just just now. Tomorrow, we're not even in the EU anymore. That's what some people have said.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I mean for me, that always sort of brings to mind the sort of last scene of life of Brian, that, you know whistling on a cross yeah. kind of thing <laughs> but, uh,
3: but for me that brings to mind that when tina turner divorced ike turner and she was like i just want my name and she did really well she got thunderdome
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> so maybe it's like that freedom will make us really like
1: entrepreneurial and creative no one knows least of all me what happens 20 years down the line i mean it does seem to me that under any of these scenarios we're going to have a significant period of economic uncertainty and what happens with uncertainty is that business run away from it Because they don't like uncertainty. They need to know. They need to plan. And basically, when they're making investment decisions, whether they're deciding whether to stay in the UK or go somewhere else, if there's a smell of uncertainty in the air, it puts them off.
2: That's the bad no deal. That's the bad, bad no
1: deal. The other no deal is no trade deal. So WTO, World Trade Organization. Now, what happens there is it gets harder to trade with the European Union because we're out of the customs union. We're out of the single market. You've got customs checks. You've got rule checks. You've got all those sorts of things. Our trade with the EU will fall a lot, some people say by about 40% in the first 10 years.
0: Okay.
1: That will hit our economy, okay? because so much of our economy is reliant on trade. What the people who think this is a great idea say is, well, we can make up for it, we can trade with China, we can trade with New Zealand. Growth is in Asia, it's not in Europe, which is true. Mm-hmm. But the assumption you've got to make then is that geography doesn't matter when it comes to trade. So take one concrete example. Mm-hmm. We make cars with other European states and the bits of those cars get shipped over the channel loads of times before they're finally completed, Okay, And there's what's called integrated just-in-time supply chain. So everything gets put together half an hour before it's shipped.
2: Okay.
1: You can't do that with New Zealand because it's a bleeding long way and there might be a storm or the ship might break down. Yeah. All right, so geography matters. Now, as soon as you think geography matters, cutting your trade with your nearest neighbour in the hope that you can make up for it with China starts to seem a bit dubious.
4: So also, if uh, you, know, you have these car parts that shuttle back and forth across the channel and what have you, and they're going to France and Germany and whatever, and if geography makes things easier when things, are, so why can't we do everything in Oxfordshire? Well, because... Where the mini factory is, for example. Like, why does that have to go?
1: Well, because we found ways of making shorter distances, as in European distances, work. And what we've done is we've got pre-existing skill sets. You look at Airbus, we make the wings, we make some of the engines, other people make different bits because their industries are very, very good at it. So we capitalise on everyone's particular skill So we get the best things, but they're still close enough to make sense to make one finished object together.
3: But if geography matters, doesn't that incentivise the other EU countries to just agree a deal? Because there's still things that we do here that I'm sure they couldn't do anywhere else. Like for example, I don't know, cheese. Like maybe <laughs> cheese in Europe. <laughs> well, there's probably something that we're good at that I can't think of that can only be cheddar. made <laughs> here. And all I can think of is like food-related stuff like period, drama. Or period
2: yeah, drama. Period yeah. drama.
1: Well, I mean period drama's an interesting one, isn't it? Because that's the whole creative industries. And we're yeah. fantastic at that here. Problem is the creative industries, a lot of which are based around here in London rely a lot on European talent. So if you go to any of these places like Vivendi, you'll see French people, German people, Czech people, Slovak people. And those companies are now thinking, actually, if it's going to be harder for them to come here, should we go to Paris? Because actually we'll be able to get the workforce we need. So yeah, there are things we're good at, definitely. We're very good at some manufacturing. We make very, very good cars. The question is whether that's worth it for the Europeans. Remember, this idea that they trade with us more than we trade with them, so they need us more than we need them, is nonsense. Because 40 odd percent of our exports go to the European Union. If you think of some of the southern member states, virtually none of their exports come here. So actually they've got bigger fish to fry, they're worried about other things, and I'm not sure that that will make them think, "Oh, let's give the British a, a really good deal, let's cut them a bit of slack.
2: It does seem a bit crazy to go, we're gonna leave the EU, But the deal that we want is one that remains access to the single market, which means signing up to the four directives. Why would we leave with our bargaining position and pay money back in and not have any say? That does seem kind of crazy. If we're going to leave, why not just leave properly?
1: I have sympathy with that. I think a lot of people who voted leave, if they see us being effectively... A member state but not actually having a vote but, on anything yeah. that's actually slightly worse than being a member but bear in mind that's exactly where norway are yeah norway are in the single market they pay money into the budget well they pay money to the eu not into the budget But we won't get into that they accept freedom of movement and they accept eu rules even though they have no vote on those rules mm. norway keeps on and on voting not to join and to stay exactly where they are for some people this works
2: and why is that
1: for lots of reasons I think one is fish they're very very suspicious fish so fishy. much yeah. That's fish. well they, they love fish and they sell a lot of them and they're a bit wary of the common fisheries policy but also the Norwegians you know as Jonathan Porter told you a few weeks ago they're just loaded they have the luxury to do whatever they want
3: like in Norway like sandwiches cost like 12 quid and like over here you get like a meal deal so yeah. you get like sandwiches and a crisp and a drink and it's three pounds why would you want to be like Norway and have a meal deal that costs like 50 quid it would be ridiculous Can well actually you, miss, wage, you yeah. miss
1: the worst thing which is you try and get a glass Glass of wine with that sandwich, and the price will treble because yeah. booze is off the scale.
2: Norway's my favourite place in on the planet. I love Norway so much. Money bags. <laughs> <laughs> I really like. I, I fell in love with Norway when I went to Norway. I loved it so much. Right, Norway's got a really high minimum wage, hasn't yeah. it? So everybody
1: and, can afford and they, a sandwich.
2: Can afford a sandwich, and also their taxation rate is a lot higher. I spent New Year in in Norway, and they they couldn't even the guys I was talking to, I don't want to speak for Norway in general, couldn't understand the idea of low taxation. They thought higher taxation for a society that functions was a much more sensible way of doing things.
1: But bear in mind, apart from the oil, which is a big deal, obviously, Norway's a small homogenous society. It's not very divided. And God knows this country is divided every single which way. And it's a relatively big country. And it's harder to do that sort of thing in a bigger country.
4: If we went on to WTO terms and had no deal, who would that make us like? Like, what other country is in that position at the moment? There's no other
1: major country that trades with its nearest neighbour on WTO terms. Right.
3: So we're like... So
1: we'll be unique and special. <laughs> oh, that's
4: good. Yeah. Yeah. Put the great back into Great Britain. Great. This is
2: the thing, like, the more you look at it, the more I just don't understand this. What? Well, that's what but maybe it's because the, the idea of sovereignty doesn't, doesn't mean anything to but me. But you do understand
1: it, because you started off this conversation saying, look... I can completely understand why someone whose life was a bit pants, whose standard of living had been falling, who felt that politicians didn't listen to them, who thought that politicians didn't bother what they thought, thought, actually, you know what, let's have a punt, because let's face it, things can't get any worse. There was a lot of that about in this referendum. If you think about one one fact, I think 2.8 million people who didn't see the point in voting in the election in 2015 came out and voted in the referendum in 2016. Most of those voted Leave, which tells me there's a lot of people who felt that politics had nothing for them and were actually going to stick two fingers up at it in the referendum who did just that.
2: Is there a left-wing argument for Brexit because obviously there are some people in the Labour Party who are very pro-Brexit and I've got friends who are staunch Labour supporters who voted leave and a lot of it to do is is with the idea of ring fencing, manufacturing and things like that. Is there a a positive left-wing argument for Brexit?
1: Jeremy Corbyn's supporters make that argument and at the margins, yes. But let me just say there is nothing in the Labour manifesto from the last election that you couldn't have done ...as a member of the European Union. Nothing at all. Not a single word was impossible as a member states state of the EU. So
2: re-nationalisation, all that sort of stuff... Absolutely ...you can still fine. do that as a member absolutely of the EU. Absolutely
1: fine. I mean, if you went wanted to go a lot, lot further than that manifesto... ...and really push the boat out with enormous state interventions... ...the EU might have something to say. It's absolutely true. Yeah. But actually, that's not what they were promising last time round. So on the basis of that, no. But you've got to balance that up by the fact that, yes... ...if we were really, really left-wing, we might have some problems... But chances are, if we were out of the single market in the European Union, the government would have less money to throw around anyway. Because what people are talking about are billions of pounds in lost tax receipt as our economy shrinks days after our trade falls. Mm -hmm. So you'll have less to play with. So you've got to balance those two things. I think the less to play with is probably more significant than the rules of the EU. Yeah. So on balance, no.
2: Oh, well, that, well, that's good to know. And I will tell my friend Andy that. What does good look like? Are there
3: parameters by which we leave the EU, which you were like, oh, actually, I feel optimistic now?
1: Yeah, for me, the optimism about Brexit is political, not economic. And that optimism comes in two or three different ways. I mean, firstly, we had that massive turnout for the referendum. One of the things we did before the referendum, our project, was we, we did about 60 town hall events around the country. Uh, which meant we traveled around and talked to public audiences and they just came and asked questions, not stupid questions, good questions, (laughs) Uh, of mm. us,
4: right? I thought my zombie question was very clever. (laughs) Well, yeah, but it was still stupid. It's meant to be stupid. Mm, uh, 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 Uh,
1: And what was amazing when we were doing those trips, like on trains or in pubs or in restaurants, was people were talking about politics. Now, if you remember before the referendum, what was the big fear about our politics? Apathy and disengagement. And actually... That's no longer the case. Young people have started voting again. I mean,
3: yeah, crisis. but now they're engaged. They're doing silly things. So maybe it was better when they weren't engaged. Yes. But I think <laughs>
4: so that all may you live in interesting times thing, right? No, 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 and actually living true. in interesting it, times has been too interesting.
1: True. But I think it helps us get a healthier democracy if more people are participating. And mm. secondly, the nature of our political debate has completely changed. I mean, before the referendum, everything was centrist, wasn't it? It was like a tweak here, a tweak there. And you were perfectly within your rights to look at the Tories and Labour and say, what's the difference? The only difference is who's in charge and how well they can eat a bacon sandwich. That's it. Now, all of a sudden, ideology's back and there are big ideas. I mean, God, for me, politicians are talking about investing in the north of England. They've noticed there's a north of England and Mm -hmm. it needs investment. I mean, people are talking about intergenerational fairness. People are talking about the iniquities of our system when it comes to race. None of this was mainstream in our politics before the referendum. Now, I'd like to think we could have got there another way. But actually, maybe what you need to do is break the mould. And I think to an extent the referendum has broken the mould. So to cut a long story short, if in 10 years time we live in a country that has a smaller economy but a far fairer economy, then Brexit would have been brilliant. That's my upbeat case.
4: But where do you see the chances of that happening? Like, Is that in your head like a one in a
1: million pie in the sky thing, or could that actually happen? It's not something I'd bet my mortgage on, Mm. I have to say that no one knows what's going to happen with brexit i mean that old saying that you used to hear which was you know in the in the kingdom of the blind the one-eyed man is king that is the brexit expert analogy you don't need to know much to know more than anyone else and added to that is the fact that our politics is all over the place we don't know who's going to be leading the conservatives we don't know who's going to win the election Kensington voted Labour, Stoke voted Tory. I mean, that's the world we live in now. It's a ridiculous one. So I see it as a chance, but I wouldn't put money on anything in politics now, quite frankly, because I'd be fairly certain to lose it.
3: But couldn't this all be solved by going through negotiations and coming out with a deal and then getting MPs to vote on it, which seems to be sensible, because that way you'd see actually what's happening and then
2: you'd have a proper debate about it.
1: Why would you get MPs to vote and not have another referendum? Oh, because referendums are so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Do you think
2: that would happen? Because obviously... Keir Starmer has been saying, you know, he set out his six points of what they want to be able to... But not another referendum. But not another referendum. But you're right. Why would... If the vote goes to Parliament... Why would that happen rather than another referendum?
1: I don't think Parliament can overturn the referendum with a parliamentary vote. I think that's a bad look. Yeah. Imagine, right, we had a referendum this time next year and we voted to turn down the deal by 51 to 49 or even 52 to 48 and on the basis of that we stayed in. All those people who came out to vote, some of them for the first time in their lives in mm. 2016, because they never bothered to vote before because actually what's the point, they don't listen to me anyway, Yeah. are going to say, see mm. we came out, we registered, we voted and what's going to happen? You're going to end up in a kind of political groundhog day you're going to wake up the next day and it'll be 2011. Nigel Farage will be back, but he'll be building a political party they'll be doing well in the polls and we'll be back where we started from
4: Doesn't that assume that support for this thing is going to remain slightly static, right? Like you could get to a situation where down the line things are going so badly that if the people who did turn out for the first time who are like, I'm going to shake things up, go oh shit, too shaky, and decide that they want to go
1: back on that? It does but bear in mind the polls are at 50-50 now there was a poll in the Observer today that showed that there was a significant majority against another referendum. The polls haven't moved very much. Now, if public opinion swings, let's say it gets to 70-30 who think it was a bad idea versus a good idea, then what I said before about Groundhog Day wouldn't be true. But under the current circumstances, if you're looking at a second referendum that is close because opinion's still divided, then I think that would be a very, very messy outcome. And this is where we get to that thing called transition. By definition, if you've got transition, none of the real economic pain hits until you get to the end of it. But transition happens after we've left. We leave in March 2019 and then we have two or three years of transition, which means that actually, if you believe there's going to be economic pain out of Brexit, it won't happen until after we've left. And so people won't realise it till after we've left. And so insofar as they're going to change their minds, it will be too late.
3: But can't we go back in? Like... You know, Colleen keeps taking back Wayne Rooney. Yeah. So, and I once dumped someone and took him back. So like, couldn't we just say, oh, this isn't working out. I'm moving out. So I need the muscle. Come back. Like, because like, if you can leave, you can go back, right?
1: Well, I presume you, you haven't got a treaty of your own that specifies the rules under which You'd people You'd be surprised. Can... Oh, right, okay. <laughs> actually, my
3: terms and conditions are very comprehensive. Um, Is that an option, though?
1: We can apply to join, but we'll be applying to join as a state that's applying to join. And several things come of that. One, they might say no, I don't think they would, but mm-hmm. it, it'll take a big swing in political and public opinion to actually go back on bend and knee, if yeah. you think about it. But imagine it happened. We apply to join. They treat us in the same way. They, they make us go through that painful process of accession where you've got to check all your rules are the same and all that sort of thing. We get to signing the treaty and they say, oh, incidentally, every single member of the European Union, A, has to join the Euro, yeah. B, has to join Schengen, oh, and C, you remember that budget rebate you used to have? Dream on. So the conditions under which we rejoined would be infinitely worse than the conditions we rejected in the referendum.
2: See, it does seem a bit crazy when you look at it. Yeah, <laughs>
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Because my family from Nottingham Mm -hmm. and they all voted Brexit for the very reason of no one's listened to us for, for years. And they all went from Labour to UKIP as well. So they were all very staunch Labour mm-hmm. supporters um, in the past and switched to UKIP and then voted Brexit because they feel that there has been nothing for them for a long, 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 long time. But why were the arguments for leaving and remaining not made... Like, How, how come the Leave campaign were able to lie so much... And why weren't the Remain campaign stronger with reaching out to these areas? Was it complacency?
1: Firstly, I mean, on the lying, uh, you know, people lie in elections. I mean, George Osborne said he'd get rid of the deficit. Gordon Brown said he was going to ban boom and bust. I mean, politicians say stuff. Yeah. I think that's, that's a normal part and parcel of electoral politics, to be honest. I don't get too exercised by that. But why didn't people reach out to those areas? Well, there's lots of reasons, aren't there? Firstly, the government was making the case to Remain in, which meant that the spokesperson for Remain in Nottingham and in Wakefield, where I grew up, was George Osborne. So not great. No. So when George Osborne said, what's not to like about this country now? Why would you change it? Loads of people. Do you remember that moment when the head of the Remain campaign, who wasn't allowed out after this, did a press conference, and he said, the thing about Brexit is it'll be dreadful because wages will go up and house prices will go down yeah pause then, you know loads of people thought oh fantastic because you know price if you don't live like- at, yeah. if you live outside the m21 well, if you live outside the southeast the notion that house prices are going down is a gift yeah so partly because the spokespeople were wrong partly too because of course jeremy corbyn didn't campaign
0: yeah
1: labor didn't really get engaged in this didn't really get their top people out to these sorts of areas saying look this isn't a tory Referendum. This is a serious referendum about whether you want the country to be richer or poorer. We understand that at the moment the country's quite rich and you're getting nothing, but that's because you voted for them. Yeah. If you vote for us and we're in, you'll do a lot better than if you vote for us and we're out. I mean, that was the sort of argument that needed to be made, but Corbyn didn't believe that argument. So you had no Labour, you had an unpopular Tory government that had imposed austerity, and the other side had all the best lines. I mean, take back control was a fantastic line. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Janet yeah. Jackson album. <laughs> it's a it? really good album. <laughs> I'm sure.
4: Everything that was dismissed as Project Fear now basically seems to be coming into fruition. And do you think like part of the problem was it was just so large the scope of everything that was going to shift that it seemed unbelievable? Although it actually is the
1: case. There were there were several things about Project Fear, weren't there? Firstly, there were big numbers involved, and some of those might prove to be right. Absolutely. Secondly. The Treasury tried to dress them up with specifics. So they said, each household will be £4,300 worse off if we leave. There's no way they could know that. I mean, that was a sort of guesstimate. And people looked at that and thought, yeah, right. Cameron made a speech about security, which was a very pretty decent speech. But when they briefed it to the press on the Sunday before he spoke, they were using lines like, could the be World a new war. Thing war? Thing. Yeah. And then people just thought, yeah, right, get a grip. So it was exaggerated. They exaggerated, they used numbers that weren't strictly true and all that sort of thing. So there was an element of that. But the second part of Project Fear was that there was nothing positive about the Remain side. Now, you can say that was fair enough because the British people aren't going to believe anything positive about the EU. But if you're not saying anything positive, I mean, I thought one of the best lines of the referendum was when Boris Johnson said that the Remain camp, Project Fear, are basically the Gerald Ratners of politics. Now, you remember Gerald Ratner, who got into trouble because there was this jewel. Ju- you're all very young, aren't you? There's a so ju- ju- called remember, Ratner. Remember, and he said, and he said got, We so, sell yeah. crap jewellery, <laughs> yeah. but oh, you should yeah. buy it anyway. Yeah. Boris Johnson said, That's basically what the Remain camp is doing. They're just re- Gerald Ratnering this thing. They're saying, Well, it's crap, but you should vote for it. And that was the other side of the problem, was along with the exaggerated numbers and the exaggerated claims, there was no vision of anything happy. The best they were offering was the status quo. Hmm. And we don't really like the EU anyway. We've never really liked it, but my God, there's not much better out there. So we're going to have to stick with it and things will remain the way they've always been. Now that's not a catchy message.
2: What is going to happen to the areas that get a lot of EU funding, like your Swanseas and your... Northern cities that you know only really managed to still exist because they were getting EU investment. What is going to happen to them when we Brexit?
1: I love this question because I know the answer. Oh, do you? They'll stop getting it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not a nice answer, (laughs) it's a very accurate answer, though. But
0: it's any, well, actually, that's not
1: necessarily true. Oh, god, actually, it's not as easy as that. Yeah, the thing about EU money is that the EU had a big say over how to spend it. So if you go to South Wales, you get lots of nice museums or train stations or whatever, but very little goes to the actual population itself. It's just the sort of stuff. Yeah. Okay, like, you know... Wetters. The cultural side of Yeah, the of cultural things. sort of stuff that yeah. people visit to see, but very few locals, I suspect, would actually go to, yeah. right? If you had a government that thought about this seriously, you could say, okay, we've got X amount of money that used to go there. Let's take that X amount of money and let's put it into job creation schemes. There. Let's do it. So you could do that. Thing is, again, we don't know. Mm -hmm. We don't know what the government's going to choose to do. One of the problems the government has got, even if you assume the government has got the best will in the world, which I've never assumed about a government, they've got too much on at the moment to start thinking about that. They're busy negotiating Brexit. They're busy figuring out the withdrawal bill. There's all this stuff going on. The whole civil service is obsessed by Brexit. The notion that at the same time they're going to come up with a credible regional strategy that is well thought out for regions like South Wales strikes me as fanciful. So... It's going to be painful, I suspect, at least initially, if only because government hasn't got the space to do it right at the moment.
2: In your opinion, what would be the best outcome now in terms of the economy and people's right to live here?
1: For me, I think if we end up with a migration system that looks fairly similar to the one we've got now,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but where government is more sensitive to the specific requirements of areas that are most badly affected by it, that would be the best outcome. To me. There's a really interesting thing about Brexit and indeed politics in general at the moment which is if you like the aggregate versus the local or the anecdotal and that's to say everyone knows any economist you ask will say migration from the EU was massively beneficial for the public purse these people paid loads more in tax than they took out in benefits okay but if you go to Spalding in South Lincolnshire we did a town hall event there which I remember for the rest of my life the people were saying "Yeah, yeah yeah whatever we don't care but you know in in summer the population of our town trebles you cannot get your kid in to see a GP. It is an absolute nightmare. The town gets overcrowded. So, if you'd been a canny government and you thought we want to keep this system going, you might have, you know, hey, build a couple more GP surgeries in Spalding. It's not rocket science. Yeah. So, there needs to be a sensitivity to it along with a recognition of the big picture. So, migration that is managed and managed sensibly in that way yeah. strikes me as a good outcome. Now, in terms of our economy, I would like us to retain as great and as close a trading link with the European Union as we possibly can. I think you're probably right, given the referendum we've had, staying in the single market is going to look a bit odd. Mm. You know, having their rules, having their regulations, accepting free movement. But that's where this free trade treaty comes in. I think we need to negotiate something that gives us as much ability to be in that market or as close to it as possible. Because otherwise the economic effect is going to be negative.
3: Let's say we leave the EU in March when I wake up in the morning and we've left, what will be different? And will we have a bank holiday? Because that would actually change my view of it a whole lot. Because yeah, yeah. we should have like a leave in the EU day, but like, will I leave the house and be like, oh, it smells a bit less European,
1: a bit less cheesy. <laughs> yeah. Less cheesy. Yeah, uh, like, just uh, uh, which what, would be a tremendous loss. What, for
3: every- at the moment, what does that look like in terms of my life experience?
1: Firstly, Boris Johnson has already said that they're going to call it our independence day. But let's see what happens.
2: Yes. Oh, Boris.
1: Uh, <laughs> So that's very exciting Sounds for like you, a I imagine. To me, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but Jeremy Corbyn's offering four bank four
2: holidays. Four extra bank holidays. Yeah. Yeah.
1: George, Andrew, Patrick, oh, and. Oh, yeah, yeah. for each of the um, yeah.
2: captains or whatever. Yeah. C- yeah.
1: So they might start outbidding themselves on that, which would be interesting.
3: Captain some Star Trek.
2: Yeah, what, that's what I was thinking. Uh, I've watched a lot of Star Trek recently. George, Andrew, Spock. <laughs> <laughs>
1: National Spock Day. Yeah. So there's that. But if we have a transition phase, nothing will change, essentially. Oh. You won't notice anything. I think kicking if, the can down the road. Yeah, I think if we, we're good at that. I think if we left under the worst scenario, no deal of any kind, you'll turn on the telly and you'll see lorries blocked. You'll see businesses saying, they're not honouring the contract, which bloody legal system should I go to under? You'll, you'll see stuff then. I mean, you might not see stuff in your own house, I wouldn't have thought, but you'll see stuff on the telly and round and about then. I live in a lorry. Uh, Yeah, I mean, but people make contingencies, don't they? I would guess, and this is a guess, okay, this isn't knowledge, this is a guess. The big supermarkets, if it looked like we were going to fall out without a deal, would stockpile. So we don't run out of imported fruit and vegetables straight away. They'd start stockpiling. People are making contingencies. So
3: should we start stockpiling now?
1: No. Oh, okay. No, because they're doing it for you.
4: What would you recommend I Panic buy first?
1: Well, not Ryanair tickets, because (laughs) one of the bad scenarios is that airlines like Ryanair won't be able to fly from here anymore. So don't do that. That's a good scenario. (laughs) Well, I'm just saying, if that's the sort of thing you stockpile, don't stockpile it, because you'll lose all your money. You might want to start stockpiling uh, euros, actually, in the case of a really bad outcome, because if the outcome is ugly, the pound will fall again.
2: (gasps) That's a good idea. Euros and tins. Mm. One of the things that really scares me and I think it's just because I'm a Namby Pamby liberal is a horrible American trade deal where they have access to the NHS and they import all their disgusting meat is that going to happen?
1: go on say chlorinated chicken the
2: chlorinated chicken but not just the chlorinated chicken the the tumble dried beef as well which is (laughs) another I don't know if you've ever had America. American I'm I'm vegetarian now but they have an enzyme that they put in all of Hormones, their meat. yeah. Yeah, because obviously tenderising your meat is really difficult. And in America, they cook by just going, oh, here's a can of soup and a piece of meat, that's a meal. Um, and so they, all the meat's like pre-tenderised, ah. so you can't overcook it. And it's disgusting. Are we going to... I mean, obviously, like or is for me... Japanese
1: feed it beer and massage it?
2: Exactly. Right? Which is
1: kinder, somehow.
2: It's lovely. Okay. Um, and I know, like, obviously, I can choose to not eat chlorinated chicken. Mm-hmm. But an american trade deal just terrifies me are they going to want access to the nhs and is our nhs gonna crumble
1: let me start with chlorinated chicken yeah this is not going to make you feel any better the reason they do it yeah. is because some of the standards in their manufacturing plants are so low they've got to dip it in chlorine at the end to kill the stuff it picked up en route yeah so you're better off with chlorine than not in that circumstance yeah, all right it's really disgusting and actually the health and safety implications of that are incredibly minimal. You might not like the idea, but my God, if you thought through all the food you ate, you wouldn't like the idea of much of it, I reckon. We're going to try and do a trade deal with the Americans. The Americans will automatically want access to stuff, yes. The question is what the government is willing to give way on. And I suspect that one of the things we'll find is because the Americans will negotiate a trade deal for their interests, not ours, Of course, is we might not end up getting very much at all out of a trade deal because we end up saying, actually, you can't have that, and you can't have that, and you can't have that, in which case they'll say, well, you can't have that, and you can't have that, and you can't have that. So it might be a very short trade. So it'd deal. just
2: be a not like the NHS is so. I mean, it's not perfect, but you know, when you look at the American healthcare system, that's the thing that worries me: is the idea that we have a government who aren't going to safeguard that.
1: What you've asked about there, without asking about it, is yeah. the difference between trading goods and trading services. Yeah. And trading goods is like selling a car, yeah. all right. And the major issue there, not the only issue, is tariffs. So you sell a car to someone else, and they'll they'll put a tax on it to make it more expensive. They'll say, okay, you're selling as a car. Here's a 10% tax, which makes it 10% more expensive, which performs several functions. One, it gives their government money. And two, it helps their domestic producers because their cars don't have that tax on them, so they're cheaper. That's fine. Services are really messy because services are things like lawyers and academics and things like that. Now, what matters for services are rules. Yes. You've got to agree on a set of rules or agree to, to accept everyone else's rules. That's what the single market does in the European Union. No one stops our stuff because everyone abides by the same rules. If we try and negotiate a trade deal with the United States, they might say, we want you to accept our environmental and food hygiene standards. Yeah that's when it starts to get a bit dubious with the chlorinated chicken. Yeah. Is if they go beyond just tariffs and say, actually, you need to lower your standards here so we can export this stuff to you or we're not interested in doing a deal with it.
2: We've got time for one more question each.
4: Is there anything to feel happy about?
1: <laughs> at all?
4: Just generally speaking, probably
1: on the Europe thing, though. Okay, because I was going to launch into football then. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, all right. Uh, well, I mean, it's keeping me busy. Yeah, <laughs> that's good.
3: What about, wasn't just everybody just leave the EU? Wouldn't that be better? So rather than like, negotiating, shouldn't we just be taking France to the back room in toilets to going, no, oh, why don't you think about leaving yourself? Wouldn't that be good?
1: I think if you look at other member states, and loads of other member states don't like the EU particularly, but I think there's probably three reasons why other member states aren't going to do it. Two of them are pretty negative and one of them is positive. The negative ones are, firstly, a lot of EU member states are small countries. Small countries feel unsafe, almost by definition. And so being part of something bigger makes them feel happier. So if you're Lithuania or if you're Latvia or whatever, you think, well, we could do it our own next to Russia. That's a bit scary. Nice to be in a big club. So small states in general want to stay in. Second thing is most member states are in the euro. And if you think Brexit is messy and complicated, imagine trying to leave if you had the same currency as them as well. It would be a nightmare. Now, neither of those are positive reasons. They're just constraints that mean actually leaving would be such a mess and so scary, we probably better not do it. The third one's more positive, which is, I I think it's right to say that in every other country in the European Union, Europe is part of how they see themselves. I mean, take the French, right? The French are as nationalistic as anyone else. But since the European communities were created, I think, pretty much, whenever a French president has given a press conference or made a speech... He, it's always been a he, has had two flags behind him, the French flag and the EU flag. You just can't imagine that happening here, can you? You couldn't imagine Margaret Thatcher standing up in front of two flags. So I think it's just become part of their culture, however much that it irritates them. It's seen as part of what they are to a far greater degree than it is here. And I think that's the positive reason why most of them won't want to stay. And the fourth reason, of course, is they're watching us now and they're thinking that's what leaving looks like
2: who is more to blame for this mess is it nigel farage boris johnson david cameron or robert kilroy silk
1: (laughs) (laughs) there's a blast from the past i would say but i'm i'm a person full of bitterness and bias david cameron
2: do you think it's david cameron
1: i'd say david cameron for several reasons i mean he called the referendum. Of course. He called the referendum having pandered to the people who wanted it and wanted to leave for the whole of his leadership. So he did nothing to say, actually, this is a lot better than you lot are saying. We should stay in. He basically just pandered to them and made negative comments about, oh, I'd rather be anywhere else than in this summit in Brussels this weekend and stuff like that, which is sort of cheap shots. And then had that sort of hubristic self-confidence that he oozed, that I'll win it, you know, I'll wing it and I'll win it. And then... And then fucked off. And then, well, that's the next part, but then in the referendum campaign itself, he was so convinced he was going to win and he was so concerned about the Conservative Party that he vetoed... Things that the Remain campaign wanted. The Remain campaign produced a poster, and the poster was Nigel Farage with Boris Johnson and Michael Gove in his breast pocket. You remember that picture of Nicholas Sturgeon with Ed Miliband in his mm-hmm. pocket? Yeah. It was really, really effective in the electoral campaign. Yeah. All the polling, all the focus groups showed that that poster would have been really effective in saying, "Oh, Brexit's an extremist thing." He vetoed it because he said, No, 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 because after we've won, it'd be very hard to bring the party back together if I campaign that nastily. So he oh. he pulled his punches in the campaign. Yeah. And then of course the day after he decided to go off into his garden shed.
2: What should we leave next? Is it NATO, the UN, the WTO, UEFA, or Eurovision? <laughs> Not Scotland. Not Scotland. All right. I'd love it if we left Scotland. Yeah, no, that'd, show <laughs> him, it? Really? that'd show him That'd be brilliant. <laughs> FIFA, FIFA. Well, it says UEFA, but yeah, but
1: UEFA is the wrong one. FIFA. You we think should we should leave, leave FIFA. FIFA?
2: But then, how do we do? We have our own mini World Cup. Do you do you, th- do you think England should leave FIFA or the United Kingdom? Because we could have like a Six Nations but a Four Nations.
1: I think we're different football associations, so we are. The diff- we would be England, but I think FIFA is the most appalling, corrupt, ridiculous organ. Well, it's not alone. I think most yeah. sports governing bodies probably. Should have most of those adjectives attached to them, yeah. but any international sports governing body, I'd be in favour of us leaving because it's almost certainly corrupt and ineffective.
2: And you're alright with Eurovision?
1: I love Eurovision.
2: Do you think that Australia should be in Eurovision? No. Is that, is that a step too far?
1: Yes, because it's,
4: it's all about geography. Yeah. Like, look, if the song's trying to get over yeah, and there's yeah. a storm that stops it? the boat, it's very difficult. <laughs>
2: super questions was hosted by me danielle ward our expert was anand menon from uk in a changing europe and our comedian guests were ahir shah and athena Kablenu. it was produced by ed Morris for the internet